a warm welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I'm the CEO and founder of Leaders Plus, an award-winning social enterprise dedicated to supporting leaders with babies and young children. I passionately believe that it is not okay that in the UK today, if you have a child and want to care for your child, it really does impact on your chances of getting to the most senior jobs. With this podcast and, of course, our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program, I want to change this by giving you the inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. Today's guest is Alexandra Marks OBE. She's a judge. She is also the chief adjudicator at the Business Banking Resolution Service and she is a retired partner at Linklaters, which is a law firm that someone told me was the equivalent to Oxbridge in law firms. She and I are talking very honestly about maternal instinct, um, whether wanting a career means you have less maternal instinct. We talk about social expectations and what it was like to be one of the first female partners with a child at one of the most prestigious law firms in the country. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, so lovely to have you here today, Alexandra. Thank you very much for joining. I was incredibly inspired when I asked you a few weeks ago to speak to a few of our fellows and I just wanted to have the chance to dig a bit deeper and ask you lots of questions. Um, So thank you for joining. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself and your family? All right. Well, thank you very much, Verena, for asking me. I'm a lawyer and I've been a lawyer my whole professional life. I studied law at university, so um, it wasn't a surprise that I became a lawyer. That was what I wanted to do. I was very interested in justice and helping people achieve justice. It may therefore come as a bit of a surprise, as it did to me, that I ended up in a commercial law firm where helping people wasn't quite the way it it turned out, but it was certainly very intellectually challenging, which I enjoyed working with very driven, intelligent people who, like me, very hardworking, wanted to do the right thing, was also Uh, made it a very rewarding uh, career. I worked very long hours. And so up until my late 20s, I really didn't think that I was going to even have a life partner, let alone have a family, because I didn't think it would be compatible with the career that I'd chosen. But I was very lucky. I met a man who was very willing to give me the space I needed and develop my career. And We're still married 30-something years later, but I wasn't at all sure about uh, children and having children. But miraculously, having been told that I wouldn't necessarily be able to have children uh, naturally because of um, various endocrinological problems. In fact, I got pregnant very quickly uh, once we got married and, you know, that was the path I was on. Once I had children, well, once I had my first baby, I realised that my entire centre of gravity had shifted. Uh, It was no longer me and my career and all about me. I had, you know, obviously someone else who was totally dependent on me and her father. That was quite a challenge when I returned to work, I must say. I took a very short maternity leave because by then I was a partner And we had not very generous maternity arrangements. So I came back to work full time when she was three months old. 
which was difficult for all sorts of reasons. One was that I was still lactating and that had some physical consequences, which were quite embarrassing. I once realised, for example, that the dye from my purple suede jacket had leaked all over my white blouse, but also readjusting to a, a really focused work environment was very difficult. So after actually only a few weeks back at work, I said to my head of department that I, I didn't think I could do it this way and asked if I could go and work on secondment for a client where they didn't know me or anything about my background and therefore there wouldn't be the expectations and the comparison with how I was sort of pre-birth and post-birth to ease me back into a working routine. And that actually worked very well. I was away for three months on secondment. And when I came back, felt that my confidence had been restored and that I was able to get back into work in the way that I'd previously done it. My husband, however, had made the decision that both of us couldn't continue working in the way we had before becoming parents. And he made a career change to be more compatible with being a parent. So he moved from consultancy, which was quite unpredictable and long hours, into academia. And by then was able, as an expert in his field, to say that he would take on the role, but on the basis that he could work from home at least three days a week. Yeah, and that was quite a few years back. Oh, it was. It It was 20, well, our daughter is now 27. So it it was a long time ago and I think was quite unusual. Indeed, I observed at the time that those women in my peer group who had achieved high levels of seniority in their workplace either didn't have a life partner or had one whose career lifestyle was, you know, if you like, complementary, or it wasn't, in which case actually often uh, those mothers, women uh, who'd achieved senior positions left, often to set up their own business or move to a smaller firm, but they couldn't sustain their lifestyle without that degree of domestic support, which I had and was very fortunate to have. And my husband was effectively primary parent to our two daughters. I had another one nearly two years later for the whole of their sort of infancy and up to the end of primary school. He took them to riding lessons, ballet lessons, you know, cheered from the sidelines for netball matches, went to see the teachers, all that sort of thing. While, by the way, working full time, we had a nanny. We were, you know, able to afford a nanny, but he was performing the parenting role. And it was when my older daughter was about to, a year off leaving primary school, that I thought I needed to engage with her and her life more than I was able to do working the kind of pattern that I did. Because I realised once she went to secondary school, And there's no longer the school gate thing where you know who the friends are, who the friends' parents are, you know the teachers, that I I wouldn't be able to catch up. So that was the time when I made the decision to change my own career and move into a much more portfolio existence. It coincided 
it wasn't coincidental uh, with my first judicial appointment. Uh, so portfolio meaning that you do lots of different jobs at the same time. Correct. And a judicial appointment means you became a judge. Correct. So I applied for a part-time judicial role. It's called in the lingo fee paid because you get paid for the days you do, but you're limited to a number of days, 15 to 30 a year. So it's not a huge, I mean, it's not enough for a someone who wants to work more than six weeks a year, mm. but you can combine it with other things. It was developed to enable people, typically barristers, to be able to get a taste of what it's like being a judge before they make the commitment to become one full time. But it doesn't interrupt too much with your day job. Mm. By then, I'd given up effectively my day job. I think it's really interesting to key decisions that you made at different points in your life. So I'm going to go back to the early decision where, which uh, of you committing and fully leaning in, as uh, Sandberg would say, into that partner role. I imagine at the time that must have been challenging because of all the assumptions that are placed about what a good, in quotation mark, mother is yes. from society. What went through your head? Did you have any questions about that? What gave you the confidence to just do what you thought was right? I, I am blessed or perhaps cursed, depending on which way you look at it, with, I think, a relatively low level of what I would describe as maternal instinct. So I observed very interestingly, I w attended NCT classes and there were many women in my position with professional lives of their own, with uh, husbands also pursuing or partners pursuing professional careers. And many of them, to my surprise, became, you know, so entranced with, you know, pregnancy, maternity, babies, infancy and so on, that they made radical life changes, becoming sort of nursery school teachers or primary school teachers or um, one set up a baby wear store and so on. And that just wasn't me. Uh, I knew that wasn't going to be my choice. But I don't think I had really figured how difficult it would be to continue to work in a very man-shaped job, which is what I felt mine was, and even nearly 30 years later still is, with the demands of a family. Because although I was very strongly supported and encouraged by my husband, and as I say, he took up a huge proportion of the childcare aspects of our lives, there were times when we would have arguments about you know, my priorities. And he would say, I don't care what your partners would do. This is our family. And, you know, you need to be here for this. And so there, you know, there were some struggles in those early years, as I suppose you would expect, but we managed to work them out. One of the lifestyle choices we made, for example, was to live very near my place of work, which as it's right in the middle of the city, meant, although I had a very short journey, and that was a deliberate choice because I knew if I was needed at home, I could get in a cab and I would be there in eight minutes. And it also meant that if I wanted to go to the nursery or the 
children needed to go to the dentist or the doctor or something like that, it would be an hour out of my day. It wouldn't be half a day. So I didn't make the choice as many of my peers did as they became more comfortable, I suppose, to move out to the suburbs or even further and commute because I've, I felt I would just become totally detached from my home, my children, our, our family. So uh, it wasn't a sacrifice, but it was a very conscious decision to be near. I think it's so fascinating how you talk about conscious decisions and choices in those situations rather than sometimes I feel that when you become a parent, especially for women, but also for men, you end up being drawn into the wave of whatever, you know, the current social current is. And, and often it is to set up your, you know, uh, get involved in a job that is less um, time demanding and so on. And I really admire you for that. I'm interested also that you say you don't have such a strong maternal instinct. So obviously I've spoken to you now a couple of times and every single time you speak, with, uh, one of the first things you talk about is about your family and whenever you mention your children there's, there's such a love and commitment that comes through and I just wonder whether as a society we need to have diff I mean like not everyone likes uh, to be honest maternity leave for example which is now fairly long standard it can be a, a dreary thing and many people look forward to going back to work and not only talk about nappies yes. and I think that's absolutely fine and and yeah, sorry, that's a bit of a rant, yes. but I think we need to change this idea of maternal... I, I agree. I think there is still remarkably quite stereotypical impressions of what a good mother or indeed a good father or a good parent looks like and the way that they behave. And yet we're all so different and have different ways of parenting I, I have found it quite difficult at times to be fighting against the stream of what I see as social expectation. I did make a very conscious and deliberate effort to participate in my daughter's lives for big events at school. You know, whenever I could, I went to the parents' evenings and school play and meetings with teachers and sports day and and all the sort of formal events. And that, again, it helped that we lived nearby. So I, again, wasn't missing a whole or half day from work. But I also felt that I was setting an example for my daughters about the way in which you could be a parent and you could live a life outside the home and find that rewarding, interesting, satisfying, while not, as it were, completely walking away from or indeed not participating in family life and the ordinary things like having dinner together, going on trips together, going on holidays, all of which we still do, even though our daughters are now in their 20s, uh, well, mid to late 20s. And for many people, the sort of parenting role has evolved and of course ours has into a completely different type of relationship and ours has, but I regard it with some satisfaction that despite what you might consider as a literally absentee parent, but I certainly wasn't around as much as a stay-at-home mum, 
But I think that has meant that my daughters have respected me as an independent person in a different way than they might have done. Of course, everyone's different if they had taken me for granted because I was always there. So we have a a relationship where we like spending time together. Our daughters like coming on holiday uh, with us. We, we go out for dinner together. We have dinner together in the evenings. I mean, not every evening, obviously, but we still are very much a family unit, which I must say, when I embarked on becoming a parent, isn't something I would necessarily have expected. But it is, as far as I'm concerned, a tremendous bonus because I didn't have as much time with my daughters when they were small, as I know many of my peers did with their children. And do you think your relationship is different as it's, a result? Of course, it's difficult to say because I don't know what it might have been otherwise, because so much of your relationship is driven by all kinds of factors like your respective personalities and, and so on. But I, I do think that we, we have an adult relationship that is, as I would have hoped, Despite, as I say, my absence in some respects in the early years, I did I did make a very uh, strong effort to be home in time to see the children every evening. And it was rare that I didn't. But I would generally return to work either, sometimes literally, because as I say we live so nearby, that was possible, or by, you know, logging on, which was possible even then, thanks to my firm's great, um, you know, progressive approach to these things. So they saw me almost every day and at both ends of almost every day. But I was having to work very late um, to make up for that. I'm incredibly impressed that you managed to be there physically so much. Your job as a partner, and not just any partner, a partner in, I mean, you work for Lindclaters, I think for people who are not in a legal profession, it's basically like the Cambridge of law firms, you <laughs> said, like, incredibly prestigious. And so I presume someone who pays Linklaters will expect that the partner, who is the key point of contact, is available 24-7. That's my stereotype anyway. So how would you manage client demand? It's not the same as ma talking to a line manager. How do you manage client demand to be, still be there for that school play? Well, Funnily enough, it wasn't as hard as I expected because in my practice area, and that was property, uh, not the same for everyone, I typically had a number of clients and a number of different transactions going on at once. So if I wasn't available on a Wednesday afternoon, for instance, because it was my daughter's parents' evening or school play, then I would say to my secretary, I'm not going to be available on Wednesday afternoon and she would know why. And if a client said, we'd like a meeting or we need to talk to Alexandra on Wednesday afternoon, she'd say, I'm very sorry, she's not available. Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, maybe Wednesday evening, depending on the time. And they didn't ask typically because it was their assumption that I was acting for a different client. And if I wasn't available because it was a different client, then that was it. So... Funnily enough, it wasn't as difficult to manage client demand as you might expect. There were times when I was very intensively involved in a transaction, say, and I would think, oh, I really want to go because there was some family event. 
I would think, though, in probably a dozen or more years that happened three times, which I didn't think was terrible, though I remember each of those times and I still feel bad about it long after my children and my husband have forgotten about it. But it was manageable given the type of work that I did, demanding though it was at times, normally I was able to foresee that I wouldn't be able to do things. And that has been something I have done ever since. So if I see something coming up and I'm not going to manage, I will make it clear in advance rather than just not show or cancel at the last minute. Fantastic. Ren, you moved to a more of a portfolio career. Were you worried about loss of status in any shape or form or loss of, yeah, basically, were you worried about doing something brave? Not really, because I suppose I was incredibly fortunate that as my first step out of a very predictable and clear role was as a part-time judge, that had status of its own. So that was very helpful. Of course, not everyone can become a judge, but I think there are various other roles that you can take on, especially from a senior position that give you that status and identity that you might crave or normally get from your job. So if you become a non-executive director or maybe if you become a chairman of a charity or whatever it may be, that is enough to give you a, a sort of compensating, if that's the one where you want to look at it, but a, a sort of status and identity and prestige that I wasn't giving up my you know, whole career to be staying at home and uh, joining the Women's Institute, wonderful though that may be, it was to take on another different type of challenge. Mm. And I think there are ways of, of navigating it. I mean, I have really enjoyed having a range of activities because it's very stimulating, I think, to move from different environments with different people, with different challenges and pick up things as you go along, which you can transfer into other activities. It has also created a snowball effect in that because I've done one thing, I've learned about something else and thought that sounds interesting and I've done that. And then I've met someone who says, well, if you're doing this, you might be interested in, in, in something related. And so I have sort of zigzagged my way across a number of different fields. So, for example, I became involved in the Law Society Council. Through that, I became involved in professional conduct and doing disciplinary hearings, which, of course, supported the judging role I was doing. Then I became involved in the Judicial Appointments Commission as a commissioner, selecting other people to become judges. And so I was able to pick up all kinds of roles because they were linked to things I'd done before or I felt I'd developed transferable skills. And so it was a much more exciting and rich sort of post-career almost uh, life and world than I had thought was possible. I didn't just go from doing one thing to doing another thing. 
actually I developed a whole range of varied activities which led on to other things. So I was picking things up, maybe stepping down from other things or they were for fixed term and then I would move on to something else. Mm, fantastic. What a great example of um, a portfolio career. On that note, I'm going to insert a small advertisement, which is uh, the <laughs> I'm a chair at Citizens Advice in Lewisham, which uh, is coming to the end of, uh, of my term. So if anyone would like to apply for that role, then please do get in touch. I'm very happy to have a chat. It strikes me that you seem incredibly confident about the choices that you've made. Were there ever moments where you didn't have that, that confidence or where you did feel overwhelmed or challenged? Yes. When I moved to Linklaters, I qualified at another firm and I moved very early on. So I was only six months qualified as a solicitor when I, I came to the firm. I felt very insecure. I was overwhelmed by the fact that I knew nobody and yet those who had appointed me, recruited me, clearly expected me to be a fully functioning solicitor um, who knew what she was doing. And I, I didn't really feel that I was. And I didn't have a network of people to ask because I was new I didn't have a cohort of people who'd all been recruited at the same time. So it was it was actually quite lonely. When the sort of new job euphoria wore off at about three or four months, I actually wondered if I'd made a terrible mistake and I had bitten off more than I could chew. And that that was a very difficult time. In fact, what got me out of it was one of my very super duper confident colleagues went on holiday, leaving me in charge of one of the clients and cases that he had been working on. And I picked it up and realised that there was a problem and told the clients I thought there was a problem. And they said, we're so glad you've pointed it out rather than, as I feared, what do you mean? It's all been fine and John has been dealing with it, um, you know, superbly. So realising that actually I had value and had been able to assist a client in a way that they were pleased with really built my confidence. And indeed, they even told the partner who was managing me that they were very pleased with, you know, the contribution I'd made. So I felt I turned a corner at that stage and that really sort of set me on the, the right path. I experienced again when I became a judge for the first time the daunting experience of being in a very unfamiliar environment, doing something new, realising that everybody else or certainly gave the appearance of knowing exactly what they were doing and what was going on. And the added challenge was that I was supposedly in charge of the courtroom but conscious that almost everybody else in the room had done this far more times than I had, including quite possibly uh, the members of the public and the defendant. So it was a very challenging experience indeed. And to begin with, to be honest, I, I really hated it and wondered if I'd bitten off more than I could chew. But on the plus side, and I think I've, I've said this um, uh, before, Verena, 
when you do something really difficult and challenging and you survive, sometimes you might even say succeed because you get a good result. It's immensely rewarding. And that was what kept me going, that although I thought it was too hard, in fact, I managed to prove to myself and I believe other people that I was capable of doing it. And so I applied for other judicial roles and was successful in that as well, experienced the same sense of concern that I wasn't really up to it, but got through it. And it's, I suppose, like climbing a mountain, you know, you just keep climbing bigger ones to prove to yourself that you can. Hmm. And do you think it's worth it? I think it's worth it. I, particularly when I consider the alternatives, I'm and always have been an ambitious person. I enjoy pushing myself to, I think you only have one life. And so I, I want to know how far I can go. That doesn't mean to say I'm going to run a marathon because that's not the kind of push I mean, though as a sideline, I did actually, having never run a step in my life, do a 10 kilometer charity run. And that was, again, a very interesting experience because I thought I just can't do this, but then realized I could. Once I'd done it, I didn't feel the need to carry on, but it was just a curiosity about what I'm capable of. And the rewards I have got out of it have been immense. You know, I look back in pride at uh, my achievements, but more at the ability to help other people in all sorts of ways. It's one of the reasons I became a mentor, why I was very keen to um, become involved in Leaders Plus, show it can be done, help people face the challenges which I myself faced. And I know what it feels like to be on that side of the table, as it were. So, I've really enjoyed being able to support other people through the journey that I've made. Uh, don't hold myself out as doing everything perfectly by any means. And when I talk to people, uh, my mentees, and I've had many over the years, it's more in terms of suggestions and ideas and thoughts they may not have had than you know, instruction. Yeah. And thank you for the work that you're doing both with Leaders Plus and outside. And, and I know your, um, your um, mentee with Leaders Plus is really, really complimentary about the impact that you've made. Um, career progression. It's something I'm extremely passionate about, mainly because I see it's, it's, you know, so many women don't progress at the same pace as men. Is there anything that you've discovered about what makes career progression happen? Obviously, good performance is important, but is there anything that you know now that you didn't know at the start of your career? I think I have been very fortunate in all the various sort of career steps I've had in building relationships with people who are above me. So how? how? Uh, that's an interesting question. I suppose because I am a confident person, I'm not one for hierarchical behaviour, nor do I expect it from other people. And I have found, curiously perhaps, that if you approach people at a very human level, 
they typically respond in a very human way rather than treating you as a subordinate. So at Linklaters, for example, one of the partners who interviewed me was then responsible for managing me when I joined the firm. And he was quite a an intimidating figure. I'm not the only person to have said that. But we developed a good working relationship because I soon realised what I had to do to not just gain his respect, but to demonstrate that I was thinking for myself. I wasn't always reaching for a life raft and expecting him to give me the answer. And although I did that to begin with, I found that if I thought through my problem, whatever it was, so I had a very concise question to ask, very often in the process, I would reach the conclusion I didn't need to ask him anything at all, except this is my thinking, do you agree? So that that helped. But also I was interested in things. We would have conversations about non-work issues. We're still great friends today, you know, exchange emails and things, you know, more or less daily. And it comes naturally to me, I suppose I'm lucky in that way. But when I've been involved in other activities outside work, I've developed relationships with people who have much more experience than me. So I became chair of Amnesty International at a really quite young age with people who are much older and more experienced than me. And the advantage of that, apart from it being very interesting in its own right, was it exposed me to people who had far more sort of life and professional and career experience than I did. But we were on a totally different plane. We were on an equal footing in that environment. So I've made all kinds of contacts through, that wasn't the object of the exercise, but it happened naturally that I met people through my various activities, of which that was one, Mm -hmm. and there were others that that helped me. So if someone comes back from maternity leave or share parental leave or adoption leave for that matter, and hears you say that, what's one thing that they could do tomorrow to build those relationships? Well, for example, I say to people, your child is going to be going to a school where you will be very interested to know how the school runs, what it does, what its ethos is, its values and so on. Look into becoming a school governor because schools are always, well, not every school all the time, but many schools are looking for skilled, committed interested people to become school governors. And the commitment, certainly as, if you like, a a regular school governor, is not that intense. One governor's meeting a term, so that's three times a year, with, of course, the opportunity to become involved in various committees and other activities. But it's a great way to introduce yourself to the education system about which you will become very involved, not too uh, distant future, and to meet other people locally of all different types and learn skills, which whatever your day job are likely to be enhanced by your ability to reach collective decisions with a whole range of different people, to prepare for meetings on topics that you don't necessarily understand or know much about maybe to advocate for a particular point of view and and marshal your arguments. So 
all these things, I think, are very valuable, um, both in developing your skills, your networks, your understanding of something that is going to be very important to you, and without a great deal of time or personal commitment at the beginning being required. Absolutely. Um, I've been a school governor and I can only recommend it. Last time we met, you talked about a stack of papers reaching up to the <laughs> up to the table, which is an image that hasn't left me. I think you spoke about having to read a stack of papers uh, for your judge job overnight. What do you do to manage workload so you can still do all these amazing things and be home on time? Well, on that particular occasion, I wasn't home on time. In fact, I wasn't home at all. Um, and that, that was quite a, a shocker. But I suppose what I do is try to forecast as best I can what the commitment is going to be, uh, what the requirements of me are. And, and how do you do that? How do I do that? Well, by becoming familiar with whatever it is, the task that I'm doing. So my family now know to keep out of my way uh, during the week one of the three weeks a year that I am judging because it is so intense that I don't really have time to do anything else. And I clear my diary of everything else. However, only three times a year, that's not so bad. Now I've just started a new job, in fact, and I'm finding my way. It's quite difficult to predict, particularly as it is a startup, how much of my time is going to be involved but I have made it clear that I was not uh, appointed to work full time and I need to protect the time that I'm not working. I'm prepared to be flexible. So to work on a day I wasn't going to work if I can swap it for another one. But I'm, I'm not prepared to do a full time job for a part time salary. Are you perfectionist? Yes, which is a bit of a curse because I have to review a lot of documents. So at the moment in my new role, for example, I'm viewing press releases and other publications and I just can't resist correcting spelling errors or punctuation, even though it's, it's way below my pay grade, so to speak. If it's got my name on it, then I feel it, it has to be correct. And, and I think it's really nice to hear that you can still survive as a perfectionist in a very <laughs> senior role, although I'm sure it does make your life slightly more, more challenging. Yes. I would like to close on the question, asking you, what, what is some of the best advice that you've received about combining a very senior career with children? I think the best advice that I have heeded is that you can be a good enough parent. Being a perfectionist, we were just talking about, it's tempting, I think, to be the best mother or parent there's ever been. And really, that is impossible. Yet, the, the really ironic and incredibly cheering thing is that for your children, you are the best mother uh, because, of course, you're the only one they've ever had. And if you 
are able to demonstrate to your children how much they matter to you and how much you love them, then that's really, I think, what counts. Of course, there are things that I wish I had done more of. Maybe I'd gone on joint shopping trips with my daughters, neither of whom seem to enjoy shopping particularly, apart from online. And, and you know, that time has passed pretty much. And maybe there are things that we will do together in future that we, we don't do at the moment. But they don't criticise me for that because it's not something they've experienced. We have done other things. You know, we have climbed Sydney Harbour Bridge together. We have gone on safaris. We have, you know, done wonderful holidays, very modest ones in Norfolk or in France or whatever. And so you can't do everything. And I think it is just accepting. And acceptance, I think, is a really big lesson I have learned. You can't have everything exactly the way you want all the time. And you just have to accept that good enough is perfectly acceptable way of reaching an equilibrium. Mm. Absolutely. Freezer meals are absolutely okay. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Alexandra. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you too, Verena. Thank you for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation I've had with Alexandra. I find her incredibly inspiring and always enjoy chatting to her. If the podcast has been useful to you, then do please take a moment to share it with a few friends. And if you can, do leave a review where you listen to podcasts. It just helps to reach more people who could benefit from this content. And it also helps Leaders Plus to make the listener numbers go up which then means I can hopefully get my dream podcast guests to agree to be interviewed Um, as always if you have any feedback please get in touch via Instagram Twitter I love hearing what you think of it in a way doing a podcast is quite a lonely thing because you don't know if it's useful at all and actually hearing from you getting your feedback your suggestions of what topics you'd like me to cover or who to interview it just is unbelievably worthwhile so do get in touch either Twitter or Instagram on at leaders underscore plus or of course you can email me on verena that's v-e-r-e-n-a at leadersplus.org.uk thank you so much for listening today and until next week have a wonderful week